Morning, church. Looks like summer may be coming sometime. How many of you enjoy the warm weather? How many think this is too warm already? I was counting on John Filto for that one. Question to get us thinking this morning as we contemplate God's great love for us that we'll be enjoying together at the table in a moment. My question is this. How many of you have family reunions? Family reunions. Would you just raise your hand? How many of you have regular family reunions? I think that is about right. Genealogy.com says that about 46% of U.S. families have annual family reunions. That really surprised me. Uh, My family really didn't have reunions, and for that, I'm grateful. (laughs) I've attended family reunions for other folk, and they're always, to me, just a bit awkward. Relatives you've never met, relatives you've never seen before show up, right? Relatives with strange habits, relatives with weird senses of humor, family reunions, aren't they fun? Well, by definition, uh, here's what a family reunion is. A family reunion is an occasion when extended families congregate, like that word, when extended families congregate, sometimes on the same weekend every year. A family reunion keeps the family in touch, rekindles or heals relationships, passes the family heritage to the next generations, and recognizes the special accomplishments of family members. That's what a family reunion does, according to the definition. Here at Southside, I like to think of every Sunday as a family reunion. Think about that. A gathering of the family of God. Now our focus today is just on a part of one verse from the book of Ephesians to prepare us for the table in a moment. In the years following Jesus' resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, there arose great persecution upon the church. And whenever the church is persecuted, what does it do? It grows. It spreads. And the more you squeeze it, the faster it will grow. Think maybe that's what we need here in America? Hmm. Hmm. Yes. So the church began to grow rapidly because of the persecution. Uh, a man named Paul, and what was his name before it was Paul? What happened to him? He was knocked off his horse. Ever fallen off a horse? I have. Yeah. Doesn't feel too good, does it? No. Got his attention. Certainly did. Saul became Paul and led three journeys into Gentile territory. And in each of those journeys, he established scores of churches in the major cities of his day. One of the most influential churches was at Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey in Asia Minor. And that's where our verse comes for today. In this letter, Paul wrote a lot about the church. In the book of Ephesians, he refers to the church as a body, a temple, a bride, a soldier, and for our application today, as a family. Paul said the church is like a family. Here's what he said. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are members of God's family. So let's think about this part of a verse just for a moment this morning. You are no longer strangers he wrote, or foreigners, concepts easily understood by those who were reading his writing. Some key words. The word kasenos means stranger, unusual, foreign, something different. And that's where we get our English word xenophobia 
You know what that means? Fear of strangers. Fear of strangers comes right across. Now, this word used in this context, kasenos, describes one who is not a member of a state or city, speaks of something that is different in quality or nature. It's not like us. It's different. It's different. So how does Paul use this then in context? We'll see that in just a moment. But I wonder, have you ever felt like that? Ever felt like that, like you were different, like you didn't quite fit in, that you were the only one not getting it, like you were an outsider? How does that make you feel in those moments? That's the word that I had written. Yeah, disconnected, yeah. Suddenly all these feelings of insecurity begin to arise in each of us. It's like, I don't really fit in here. I don't fit in here. And so that's, in essence, what this word means. And we all encounter those feelings from time to time. Like, we're strangers. We're, we're strangers. We're a little bit different here. The second word, paraoikos, means alien, not of your family. It's not of your blood. In fact, it can be used as an enemy. Not only are you different, but you're in opposition. Now, Paul would say this is what we all were before we encounter the truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross. When it comes to God, we were all strangers, aliens, foreigners, depending on your translation, right? We were all separated from God. In the preceding verses, you've been saved by faith through grace and that out of yourselves. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. He goes through that whole thing. You were once separated from God. You were a foreigner. And you should have felt a little uncomfortable around God kind of things because you weren't part of the family. It's not in your blood. Because we had not yet encountered what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we receive by faith this truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross... And we turn from our old way of life, and that's important not only just to believe in Jesus, but to turn from our old way of life. Our sins are forgiven. We are given then the gift of eternal life, and we become, as Paul would say, members of God's family. Now, the word used there in Greek is an important word, oikos. It means a house, a household, or a family. So understand the family of God then. Uh, once uh, we encounter the truth of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we should be very familiar, very comfortable, very much at home in the family of God. That's the way it's supposed to work. Now what is the family of God? It's so much more than a local church. And sometimes we talk about the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family. We used to sing, right? Back in the day. But it's so much more than the local church, so much more than this setting. You see, the family of God includes all believers from the past, all of human history, to the present, to all those who are yet to believe in Jesus. We are all part of the family of God. Every human being was created by God, but not everyone in this room is a child of God. Hear me again very carefully. Every one of us was created by God in his image, but not every one of us is a child of God. Something has to have happened in our hearts that filters down into the depths of our soul in order for us to be a part of God's family. Otherwise, we're still on the outside looking in. And that's a weird kind of feeling. Because I used to go to church as a non-Jesus follower. Was it awkward? Just ask my wife. Where did I sit? Right back there. And when the last song was played, I was out the door because I didn't want to talk to anybody. 
And I went for weeks and weeks like that. Very uncomfortable even to be in the church environment. I was not a part of the family, you see. The only way to get into God's family is by being born again into it. Hmm. We became part of the human family by our first birth, by our physical birth. And we become a member of God's family by a second birth that Jesus talked about. You must be born from above. You must be born again. Here's the way Peter put it. I like this. It is his boundless mercy, God's, that has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. Now my question to you is, has that happened to you? Has that happened to you? Are you a member of God's family? That's an extremely important question for us to deal with. Because if not, we're on the outside looking in and we'll be a little uncomfortable in this environment. Have you made that decision for Jesus? Have you contemplated what he has done for you and me and all of us on the cross by taking our sin upon himself? And not only that, he makes us a part of his own family. Absolutely incredible, incredible in life changing. Now, like your family and mine, the church sometimes doesn't function like a family. It can be kind of dysfunctional family. Like all families have some dysfunction. Now, what is a dysfunctional family? A dysfunctional family is one in which conflict, wrongdoing, abuse, addictions, they're continual. In fact, now they're typical. What happens is family members begin to minimize these unhealthy patterns, and then they normalize them. It's like this is the way things are. Every family's like this. No, they're not. No, they are not. This is not the way a healthy family operates. Not at all. Not at all. And many, many families through the generations have accepted behaviors, have accepted attitudes that are now absolutely normal in the context of that family. But somebody looking from the outside in quickly recognized this isn't right. There is great dysfunction in this family, but nobody recognizes it. And so all of this is filtered down to the next generation. And they are in big trouble because that's normal now for them. Ouch. And so dysfunction is passed along and it begins to multiply. One of the greatest tools God gave us to overcome dysfunction is his word. Because it never changes. It is the truth. It tells us the truth. It tells us how to connect with God. It tells us how to relate to one another in the healthy way that he intended, not through the way that we have learned in our dysfunctional families, but in the way that God has intended. It shows us the characteristics of a healthy family. It teaches us how to overcome dysfunction. Now, sin, of course, what is sin, by the way? Missing the mark, knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. Okay, good. What else is sin? Separation from God. Separation from God. Other thoughts? Disobedience. Disobedience. Good word. Good. Yes, all of these are true. All of these are true. But sin then has made us all dysfunctional. All have sinned and what? Fallen short. short of the glory of God. Who's all? You? How about the person seated next to you? Is that person a sinner? If they are, say amen. Okay, we know that for sure. 
But at the cross, Jesus paid the price for our sin, for our separation, for our disobedience, for our dysfunction, so that we might be the fully functional human beings he designed and created us to be, unimpaired by sin, filled with the Holy Spirit, living and walking like his son, conformed to his image, not the image of the world. That's what he did for us at the cross. Now, every family has its share of dysfunctional folk. Do you agree with that? And maybe you are the dysfunctional one in your family. They're everywhere, right? The weird uncle, the black sheep, the perfect one, the favorite one, the rebel, the baby, the spoiled one, the gossip, the divisive one, the one with a chip on his shoulder, the people pleaser, the party pooper, the control freak. They're all there. They're all there. And a whole lot more in the family, right? Which one of those are you, by the way? All the above. (laughs) Sure, every family's got it. And of course... The church, if it is the family of God, is no different than a family. We're all here. We're all assembled together. Right? I'm doing my devotions, my time with God in the mornings in 1 Corinthians. And Paul begins this letter to the church in Corinth in verse 2 of chapter 1. He calls them saints. Is that a good thing? Yeah, it's a really good thing. But it goes straight downhill from there. In just the next chapters of the book of of 1 Corinthians, he calls them babies, petty, argumentative, worldly, proud, too tolerant of open sin in the church, too intolerant of others who have different convictions. It's just like our church. It's just like every church, one big happy family. Another way to consistently correct this function is to eat together. This is true of your family. It's true of the family of God. I believe in the power of a family sitting down and eating together. We're losing it rapidly. But we're not going to lose it in the church. And that's what this table is all about. It's the place where we can remember who Jesus is, who we are, our need to be in right relationship with God and others. This is where our differences dissolve. This is where unity is restored and full family functionality flows because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. This is a place of healing and restoration. This is the place where we can get it right. It's a beautiful moment. And although it is a remembrance, it also is here and now a means of grace in which we can enjoy all that Jesus has done for us on the cross. One of the things that excites me about this church is the fact that we are beginning to understand there's a lot of room at the table and not everybody has to believe exactly alike. And I can overlook your differences, whether it's the color of your skin or your educational background or your preferences and football or politics or whatever else it is that divides us all. We're beginning to understand that love never fails, it never gives up, it never runs out, that love covers a multitude of sin and love covers all the differences that we bring as a family. And if we can turn the corner on this thing and they will say, We know they are Jesus' followers. Look at the way they love one another. What a different group of people they are. Then we know that Jesus is truly in our midst. And I see it coming. I see it emerging. People willing to look beyond the differences for the sake of unity. Now, I'm not talking about the essentials of the faith. I'm not talking about watering anything down. I'm not talking about anything like that. 
But the things that are dividing the church today are so petty and so minor when there's a lost and a dying world desperately needing to see the love of Jesus lived out in our lives. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church we want to become, right? Yeah, yeah. And I see that beginning to unfold and blossom. It's a beautiful thing. It looks way beyond, way beyond the things that might divide us to the cross that makes us one because he is the head of the church. God is our father. We come to his table with all of our differences and we eat together and we say, thank you, Lord. That can happen in your family. It must happen in the family of God. And so we come now to the table. Jesus, Jesus paid an incredible price so that we might enjoy the unity of his love. And that's what the table reminds us. This wasn't free, not by any means. Because greater love has no one than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends.